President McKinley did a whistle-stop tour back in uh, 1898, and uh, a little boy, uh, Jimmy McBean, made a stool for him. And uh, he loved it so much that he called back and said, look, it, I would like to give more of these to dignitaries who are visiting. And before you knew it, uh, Blaine is, is manufacturing all these footstools. And uh, that's how the big, that's how we got the stool boom. Blaine became the stool capital of the world. Welcome aboard the Little Red Bandwagon, your twice-weekly podcast about the podcast Too Beautiful to Live in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. I'm Bobby Pape, and joining me from Dallas, Texas, Meredith Mayhan. Good afternoon, Meredith. Good afternoon, Bobby. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a Friday edition of Little Red Bandwagon. This is not your weekly recap. Stay tuned to the previous or next episodes for that. This is an episode where we bring on a 10, talk to them about a favorite moment in TBTL history, play the clip, and uh, do a little bit of Mike Frizzell-style Facebook stalking of the guest. And we are pleased to invite on the show for this from Nashville, Tennessee, Caleb Jelenow. Good afternoon, Caleb. Good afternoon, Bobby and Meredith. Thank you for uh, scheduling a daytime recording session so that we could get you in this week. Uh, and uh, <laughs> just off air, we were talking about the big news. Uh, this will probably air in a couple of weeks. Uh, but we're just celebrating the fact that Bill O'Reilly's just been thrown off the air today. So, hooray. Hooray. Yay. Let this episode be timestamped forever. You know exactly when it was recorded now. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get to know Caleb, and then we're going to talk about his clip and play it, followed by some housekeeping and how you can get involved. But before uh, we do that, let's start with uh, the frizzelling of Caleb Jelenow. Uh <laughs> Caleb. Uh, for selling you on Facebook actually was not terribly easy because, uh, you are not a super active Facebook user. I picked the wrong week no. to be Mike. Yeah, I actually was a pretty active Facebook user up until about a year ago. And then I turned off all notifications, uh, deleted the app from my phone and I've been a much happier person since <laughs> I do have the, uh, groups app. So I still delve into the Stens page occasionally. Wait, the Stens page is the one thing about Facebook you still use? <laughs> I mean, notifications are turned off on that, okay. too. Very good. Well, uh, uh, here's what I did glean between Facebook and Twitter and some other things, and you tell me. Oh, God. There might be some drunk tweets in there, Bobby. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> Would it be a Twitter feed if it wasn't full of drunk, right. drunk tweets? Yeah. I'm just proud of you for not going back and deleting them all in the morning like Luke. <laughs> Uh, first of all, uh, we mentioned that you lived in Nashville, and I did notice from Facebook, uh, because your Bands in Town app is linked to your Facebook, it does appear uh, that you either go to or at least want to go to a lot of shows. Yeah, I aspire to go to shows, and um, I've been to one in the past week, and I'm considering going to see Steel Panther tonight. Excellent. Uh, I was scrolling through, and you sort of have a... I don't mean this in a mean way, but just a oh, whole great. run of, of great, somewhat cliche indie bands mm -hmm, mm -hmm, consuming mm -hmm. your Facebook feed because that's the only thing that gets posted. Yeah, and also when I'm on Tinder, I need the uh, mutual likes thing to work well. <laughs> oh, that's why you curate it. Yeah, yeah. I that's see. why I went back and took all the stuff I liked in high school off, too. Gotcha. 
Well done. I would never have thought of that. Of course, I'm far beyond Tinder. I have no idea how the kids are meeting people these days. So, uh, I'm I'm happy for you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, also, I noticed, and this is a Facebook thing again, but then I, I fact-checked a couple of other places. On April 7th, a lot of people were very proud of you. Uh, and I have a yeah. feeling that you uh, uh, passed the bar. I did. Congratulations. Hi, congratulations. Thank you very much. It was a... It's, I'm still kind of in shock about it. Uh, you are just getting out of school. So are you in a transitional time right now? Are you, I mean, you're meeting with us in the middle of the day, which makes me think you're yeah. uh, woefully unemployed. Like um, we are. I'm moderately unemployed. Um, I am driving for Lyft uh, when I'm not looking for jobs. And so that's bringing in a little bit of money. But aside from that, I'm just looking for uh, looking for legal jobs and also anything that I find interesting because... The worst part about passing the bar is everybody wants you to be a lawyer. Um, so if I if I come across anything else, um, I I'd be willing to take it. But yeah, I am in a transitional period. Well, so pardon my ignorance, but I mean, don't you pass the bar so you can be a lawyer? Well, you you pass the bar because you've just put in three years of law school, and everybody tells you you absolutely have to do it. Yeah. And then you start talking to some of your friends who are already in legal jobs, working 70 hours a week and, you know, uh, never seeing any of their friends or families or going to concerts with me. And you start to reconsider. Right. Yeah. Uh, did you have a, a specific focus or I saw you did um, some time with legal aid in Tennessee. I didn't catch the details on that, but. Did you have a specific focus in the type of law you'd like to practice or maybe thought you wanted to practice? Or I'm just curious where your concentrations were. Yeah, I do. And I, I'm being a little bit I'm being a little bit too negative about it. It's just really easy when you're talking about lawyers to, uh, <laughs> to uh, <laughs> have that kind of an attitude. I am looking for legal jobs. I have a uh, criminal background. That sounds weird. Not You're a like criminal? Mike, cr not Mike criminal, but like work in criminal justice <laughs> background. <laughs> And so, yeah, I definitely want to get into uh, criminal defense. Great. Uh, well, I mean, it's only a matter of time before Mike needs someone again. So, Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm hoping that he commits crimes in Tennessee. It'll be easier for me. Right. <laughs> and actually, um, you know, uh, we, we, uh, we push up to the line of defaming people regularly on Little Red Bandwagon. Mm -hmm. um, we uh, play other people's content pretty regularly without permission. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, if we need an attorney at any point, maybe uh, – I don't think we have anyone in the LRB family yet, so maybe you can be our official house counsel. Oh, I'd be more than happy to do that. <laughs> I mean, I think I can log that as pro bono as well. So Sweet. It's free. Yes. Yeah. I like it. I mean, it's not going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you had us at free. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. all we're worried about. Uh, also, I want to ask you about your Twitter bio. Uh, okay. I'm interested to know what it is. It's four short sentences. <laughs> okay. Uh, public radio listener, mm -hmm. coffee drinker, yeah. cigar lover, mm -hmm. Chipotle enthusiast. Yeah, all of those things are true. Uh, the first three make sense to me. I, I like Chipotle, but I never knew you could be a Chipotle enthusiast. You can. I actually, um, in my second year of law school, I was a teacher's assistant and so I had a little bit of extra money and I started going to Chipotle for lunch every single weekday 
and because it was about a block and a half, two blocks from the law school. Um, so over time, I literally knew every single Chipotle lunch crew's person's first name. And <laughs> I was at a point where they were giving me, uh, I'm, don't uh, don't listen to this Chipotle corporate, where they were giving me free food like once a week just because they're like, uh, it's on us today. And so my friends started noticing it and... Yeah, I'm, a, I'm actually a Chipotle enthusiast. So are, do you remain a Chipotle enthusiast even after their uh, food poisoning troubles? I ate Chipotle every day throughout all of the food poisoning troubles. None of those were in the South, and I was never worried. Wow. See, I'm still nervous to go. I mean, I, like I said, it really was easy for me just because they were so geographically far away. I was just like, these are just the stuff that is in my Chipotle is just not coming from yeah. the same farms. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm just impressed that someone, uh, equated having extra money with being a teacher's assistant. Well, I mean, <laughs> I literally just mean that I was like, okay, I can take off, I can take meal planning off my plate sure. with this tiny, <laughs> tiny, tiny amount of money. Yeah, that's great. Um, okay. Well, you know, I figured it was just there as a joke, so I'm glad I asked. Oh no, it's very real. <laughs> Uh, well, very good. I, I don't think I need to cross-examine you too much uh, more or examine you. I, I see you did there. really across about your life because we know that a good part of your life is your TBTL fandom. So I'll hand it over to Meredith yeah. to ask those <laughs> questions. Yeah, I'm the opposition, not him. Yes. Um, <laughs> so tell us how you found out about TBTL. I found out about it through Wait, Wait, like 99% of people. Yeah, that's how I found out about it, too. Yep. And how long ago was that? Do you remember your first episode? I do. Um, I was actually thinking about this this morning. I've been listening to TBTL for well over uh, seven years now. Um, I actually uh, <laughs> I realized that the first um, wine that I legally purchased was Chateau Saint-Michel. Wow. That's how, I, uh, that's how I realized that I wasn't even 21 when I started listening. Um, so yeah, my first episode, and this actually brings me to one of the things, one of my throw your phone moments. Um, my first episode was a Monday after Luke had been on Wait Wait. And it drives me crazy when they do these really, really janky shows after Luke has been on Wait Wait. <laughs> it just, yeah. I yep. don't understand. You share um, your frustration. We have railed against that specifically before. Yeah, so I was this, I was a long-time uh, Wait Wait listener, and I thought, man, this Luke guy is so funny. I need to check out his podcast. So I downloaded the Monday episode, and it was Luke by himself in a hotel room. Um, I, I seem to remember that he was talking a lot about The View from his <laughs> hotel room because um, <laughs> oh he was still in Chicago. And I'm just – I'd listened to – Pretty much all the podcasts I'd listened to at that point were super polished NPR shows in podcast form. So I was like, what is this one guy doing in his hotel room just talking into this microphone? And I'm sure there were a lot of little inside jokes, but just as a new listener, I had no idea what was going on. And then he threw to a tape piece where it was him interviewing Carl Castle in the most echoey room in the back of the Chase Bank Auditorium. And I just turned it off. 
I, I mean, I literally couldn't get through the episode. Um, and then I have no idea how long went by months probably. And I was like, man, listening to wait, wait, it's like, this guy is so funny. I'm going to check out this show one more time. And I do. It's a Monday show. Thank God Jen was on. (laughs) And I've been listening ever since. Uh, Can I interrupt with something? I just did a little quick Googling uh, while you were explaining that. And I found an episode from April 9th, 2010. uh, That's only 28 minutes long. (laughs) That sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, it's description. Luke falls in love with his possibly racist Chicago hotel. Plus, Carl Castle stops, uh, steps into the bathroom with Luke and shares his ah, secret hopes and dreams. That would explain why it's echoey. <laughs> okay, yeah, that was it. So for anyone who's feeling particularly brave, I'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> I'm going to go back and listen to it. <laughs> you must have started listening around the same time that I did, because I, the spring and summer of, of 2010 is when I started listening, too, because I remember I had just bought a house and I had a bunch of yard work to do and I was looking for more podcasts. And I was also a Wait, Wait listener and had the mm-hmm. same thought process that you did. And I remember jumping in just the next day, whatever they the, the next show they put out and thinking, I am so lost like this. Yeah. I don't know what they're talking about. This must be one of those shows where I have to listen for a few weeks before I start to understand what's going on. Yeah, so, I had the exact same experience, but yeah. it was it was Jen that really she still has those um commercial radio chops, I think. And she I would think was probably bringing me in a little bit more than Luke was. Yeah. So do you remember if there was an episode that turned you into a 10, a specific one, or was it just sort of continually keeping at it? I don't think I mean, you could argue that second episode sort of did. Yeah. But um I do remember around this time was um, the uh, Arab Spring had just started in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And I do remember, this is, I don't know if you guys can tell me if this is embarrassing or not. Um, I do remember an upsetting period of time going by before I realized that Cairo was K-I-R-O. <laughs> and, <laughs> and not because, C-A-I-R-O. Yeah, because yes. I'm sitting at home thinking, okay, these people are all reporters. Luke's always talking about his NPR background. I'm like, I mean, it wouldn't be out of the question that they had done something in Cairo, but it was the context didn't make any sense. And so, yeah, when I figured out what the radio station was, then I was I was definitely a 10 at that point. I made the same exact mistake because they never spell it out. It's never K-I-R-O. It's always Cairo. And if you're not, especially if you're not from the west side of the country, you're used to your radio station starting with a W which mm-hmm. is what I was used to. And so it didn't occur to me that that would be a K-I-R-O uh, call letters. The other thing that I didn't realize is I-, I listened when they were still doing live shows. And for some reason, you know, it's like t- tune in at two o'clock for the show. And I'd be sitting on my computer at two being like, come on, show, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm in the Eastern time zone and they're in the Pacific time zone. That took me a few minutes to understand the first time I tried to listen live. It's like, oh, yeah, this is in a different location. I'm a genius. I'm, I'm sorry I don't have an embarrassing point about radio logistics to add. <laughs> Bobby understands how time and radio works. Stop bragging, Bobby. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine if they sent Dory Monson into the Middle East during the Arab Spring. <laughs> I'd listen to that. <laughs> All right. So have you had any uh, TVTL appearances, any emails read, anything like that? Um, I've had a couple of um, non-memorable emails right over the years. Um, the one time, I haven't been on personally, but 
I was one of the probably one of the last um, OPPs before Andrew (laughs) instituted the asking people policy um, for doing other people's problems because I was I remember I was just like cooking dinner one night and they started reading my Facebook post in an OPP and I had no uh, prior knowledge whatsoever. And so it was it was um, it wasn't really anything embarrassing, but it was still a little bit weird. What was it? It was, how do I call... Oh, God. I'm giving you guys a really great picture of my life right now. <laughs> I don't understand how words work. <laughs> and I'm uh, obsessed with uh, Tinder and dating. No, it was, how do I call a girl whose number I got at a bar and I waited a weird period of time um, before getting back to her? Mm. But what was what really made it just a perfect DPTL episode is the person that they had on the show that day to give relationship advice was Andy Haynes. Um, Tens might remember that Andy um, had recently gone through a horrible divorce after trying an open marriage. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Burbank and Walsh thought, Caleb needs some help. Let's get Haynes in here. Oh, boy. And and I seem to remember his advice was something like, just say, hey, I've been busy. Oh, that's useful. And I was like, whew. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a step up from you up. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Just barely. Yeah. So how did it turn out? Did you ever contact her? Yeah, it didn't go anywhere. No. No. But it's I'm not usually a get a stranger's number at a bar type of person anyway, so it wasn't that big of a deal. I was proud of myself just for getting a real number. Yeah, well, yeah, she didn't give you a fake number, so I guess... I guess yeah, you were yeah. winning there. Okay. Um, do you have a favorite TVTL drop? I do. As this airs, this is actually uh, the same one that the last guest said, but my favorite is Priceless Granite. I was hoping you were going to say that. <laughs> that has popped up so many times in the last week. Yeah. As I was listening to the last interview, uh, this had already been scheduled, and um, the guest said Priceless Granite, and I was like, damn it. Right, so that's Aaron Roden, uh, yes. who I just want to be mm-hmm. clear. I think we said this on the episode with him, too, but our very favorite Aaron. Uh, yes. Most definitely our favorite Aaron <laughs> podcaster in Seattle. Uh, <laughs> did you prefer his rendition to the original drop? Because that was my conflict. Is suddenly I like his version more than I liked the original Oh, one. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a purist. Okay. I'm a purist when it comes to Priceless Granite. I think I agree. I like the original, but I would like to hear them side by side. Yeah, that would be fun. That is actually a drop that Luke and Andrew might play, even though it's from LRB. Yeah. Yeah, I thought about it. Um, but they do like Aaron. Uh, he might even be their favorite Aaron, too. I don't know. I'll have to check. <laughs> I'll have to send it to him. Maybe we can get it in their rotation. It also came up this week um, as we're recording this Monday's episode because Lauren was the dazzling donor and she mentioned Priceless Granite, too. Oh, you're right. Yeah. So everyone, it's everything's coming up Priceless Granite exactly. this week. <laughs> okay. And our favorite question, why does TPTL matter to you? Yeah. I'm so glad this is part of the interview, but answering it is extremely difficult. I know. Um, I... I think there's I think there's two things, um, and a little bit of this is actually going to come through a, a little bit in the clip. Um, first off, I love just being introduced to 
stuff that I probably never would have heard of before. I mean, I really doubt that I would have ever watched Waiting for Guffman if it had not been for TBTL. Um, so that's a really big practical benefit. And a lot of my favorite music I've actually heard of through Song of the Summer Brackets. But, I mean, I think the reason it really matters to me is I have a very, very similar upbringing to Luke. Um, not quite as extreme as him, but I did come from an evangelical household. household. And hearing, like, a cosmopolitan, successful guy who actually had it even worse than me is really, really nice. To just know that you can come out the other side of that... I mean, yeah, I mean, I've definitely already come out the other side of it, but his comfort with his family is something that I really aspire to. And just how much he, just how he can kind of laugh about it all and not be mad at it. Yeah. And so that kind of comes through a little bit in the, uh, in the latter half of the clip when they're talking about the theater. Uh, Luke's mom always had him in uh, ridiculous church plays. Right. (laughs) Did you have to do any of that when you were a kid? Yeah, but I didn't have the um, Luke, even as a kid, uh, I think wanted to be a star. And I was just kind of I just kind of wanted to hang out with my friends. So if I could get like two lines in the play, but then have to go to all the rehearsals. Right. That was a that was kind of a win for me. You just wanted to do hood rat stuff with your friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So are, are your family is the rest of your family still very evangelical? Uh, my parents and my sister are. Um, so, I mean, and my brother, I don't know, like, if he's, like, a full-blown atheist or anything, because, um, <laughs> because like, good Southerners, we don't talk about anything right. important. Um, but... <laughs> um, hey, Northerners but de- don't either. Don't worry. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he definitely is not the same as them. But, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a constant, slightly awkward thing when I'm home visiting and Sunday rolls around, you know? Right. And Luke has talked about that. I mean, he's talked about how he's got whatever it is, seven brothers and sisters, and they're all really, really successful, and nothing would make his parents happier than if they weren't successful but would turn their lives around and come back to their point of view on religion. Right. Right. Well, yeah, that's more important to them than than really anything else in, in yeah. someone's life, right? Yeah, and it's if if you didn't if you weren't brought up in that evangelical mindset, it can be really hard um to wrap your mind around that, I think. I don't know too much about it, but I do understand that it's it's kind of like it's your job to to convert people and cuz you're helping them, right? Like you're saving yeah. them. That's definitely part of it. You're 100% correct, but I think from a from a family and particularly from a parent viewpoint, it's not like um, there's no purgatory to fall back on. It's like you're if you're not having a one-on-one conversation with Jesus Christ every day, you're going to a real hell. And if you really believe that, then it's kind of hard to have a reasonable conversation with them about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it's hard for people in more mainstream religions to understand. Because it's so black and white. It's completely black and white. I mean, there is absolutely no... There's no two ways about it. Caleb, I just met you. And if I believed that fervently, I would be here preaching at you because I wouldn't want you to suffer <laughs> that outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the that's the the real 
sticking point there is because if you really, really believe it, oof, you know, you don't wish that upon anyone. Right. Right. Yeah. And so those, um, you know, Luke and Jen are often singing these songs and bringing up the the preachers. And, and, and are these things bringing up things from your past, too? Do you, Can you relate to all those, their, their childhood def- memories? Yeah, I definitely can. I will say... Um, Luke, I don't know about Jen, but Luke had it worse than I did. I mean, it wasn't, you know, living on a commune at any point or anything like that. Um, so <laughs> he had a little bit more than I did. But yeah, I mean, I I get every one of those references. When he makes a, you know, a Michael W. Smith joke, you know, I'm one of the <laughs> 10 contingent who understands <laughs> that. Yeah. Uh, well, uh Y'all have made this for an incredibly difficult transition. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get real. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm so glad you did. Uh, but the clip you brought is so much lighter yes. <laughs> than this conversation. Uh, so why don't we just take it as medicine and jump right over to it? Um, you brought a clip that I'm surprised nobody had brought sooner, actually, after I went back mm-hmm. and we listened to it. And uh, for the sake of a little extra homework for us, uh, this was uh, why it mattered Waiting for Guffman, which was mm-hmm. from the radio days, uh, September 12th, 2008, hour two. And actually, I have a question. This means that's before your inception with TBTL. Yeah. Did you go back? Are you a gold star, perfect 10? I'm not a perfect 10. I did go through a period where I was trying to manually download the old shows, but it was so <laughs> difficult. It's really cumbersome. I mean, it was really, really bad. And then, I mean, that was before we even get into the mislabeling. Um, so, no, this was repackaged as um, during one of their vacation weeks, they repackaged a show with this and also the clip um, – where Luke and Jen talk about a mall and the night visitors and they called it theater stories. And so that's how I know this, not from the original air date. And a mall and the night visitors gets name checked in this clip. Uh, Before we do that though, it is worth mentioning that despite all the hassles, you are also one of our most beloved archivists. And uh, Christy wanted to make sure that I mentioned that because she appreciates you thoroughly. And if she didn't have a day job, unlike us slackers, uh, she would be here probably as well on the line with us. Uh, and she guessed on the fly this morning that you've archived eight weeks. I've done – that sounds about right. And I I have done my part, but I also have a week assigned to me for – I'm probably coming up on like six months now of not having completed it. So <laughs> I'm kind – I mean, I've got enough uh, – I'm resting on my laurels right now. It's almost like you were studying for the bar exam. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that might have had something to do with it. Uh, I think she'll cut you some slack. Yeah. Okay. Good. But get back to work right after this. Um, oh, uh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> I've blocked out all of Wednesday as TPTL related. <laughs> all right. Uh, a couple of notes before we play the clip. Uh, first, um, we're going to leave in some of the little things on either side of this one hour segment from the radio. So it's not a full hour long, but you're going to get the bumpers from Cairo coming in. And at the end, you're going to get just a quick minute of unrelated Seattle news of a moment in 2008, which uh, we'll leave in now and talk about later. Uh, And also, just so you know, in addition to listening to this clip, um, we all went back and watched or rewatched Waiting for Government. So when we do our analysis, 
of the clip, we'll also talk a little bit about the movie. Uh, not a lot because there's, uh, there's already far too many movies, uh, podcasts about people who sit around talking about movies, but, uh, for the sake of due diligence on this, we went ahead and watched the movie too. So let's take a listen to why it mattered waiting for Guffman. You are now joining TBTL with Luke Burbank already in progress on news talk, seven ten. Cairo, now on 97.3 FM. And now, once again, the TBTL players. By the pool, in the school, by the fires of Yule, it's the rule. There's a stool, there's a stool. Stools are where, once upon a time, you'd find a chair. A chair's for fools. Everybody wants stools. Stool boom. From the parlor to the pool room. We're the center of a stool boom. Everyone knows our name. Working, Working building, building, never stopping, never sleeping. Working, making, making some for selling, some, some for keeping. You will drool at the splendor of these magic stools. It's the rule everyone has a stool. Just three legs. It's the thing for which a monarch begs. Hawk your jewels. Use the money for stools. Stool boom. Just three legs and watch the sails zoom. Like a fever, it's a stool boom. And it's spreading out from Blaine. Working, Working building... Never stopping, never sleeping, working, making, some for selling, some for keeping. Ladies and gentlemen, the TBTL players, I didn't realize just how, really, I've always enjoyed that song, Stool Boom, just as a kind of, you know, as a beautiful Broadway number. I mean, at least Broadway-worthy number, mm -hmm. but it also is a really powerful story about monarchs <laughs> and, you know, hawking your jewels and, uh, you know, industry, mm -hmm. really. That sort of can-do American attitude. And uh, so thank you very much to the TBTL players for coming in to do that. You guys, as always, uh, amazing work. Of course, tonight's Why It Mattered. We bring you the movie Waiting for Guffman. Fergie, we love you. We want you to live. Waiting for Guffman, the uh, fake documentary. I, I refuse to say the word mockumentary at this point in my life. I'm 32 years old. I own a number of suits. I have comprehensive insurance on my car. Things are really coming <laughs> together for me. I'm past the point of saying mockumentary. The fake documentary uh, starring, kind of, I guess, written, directed by a Christopher Guest. It was released in 1997. It's the story, in case you 
are not familiar. It's the story of Corky Sinclair, a guy who always wanted to be a great director on Broadway. It never quite came together for him, so he finds himself instead in Blaine, Missouri, where they are about to celebrate their sesquicentennial. That's the 150. And he has written a, uh, a musical called Red, White, and Blaine. And the movie follows the production of that. Uh, did I say movie? He, he's written a play. Okay, I yeah. want to make sure I wasn't confusing yeah. those two things. And somewhere along the way, Corky and his band of actors get the idea that somebody named Samuel Oppenheimer Jr. is coming from New York, from Broadway, to watch Red, White, and Blaine and probably take them up to the bright lights in a big city that is the Big Apple. Hence the term Waiting for Guffman, uh, which is kind of a play on Waiting for Godot. It is, I think, one of the funniest movies, I, I will say, of all time. Mm-hmm. Where, do you, where do you rank it, Jennifer? In your, Is it in your top five comedies? Oh, definitely. I think it's in my top five all-time movies and definitely in comedies. One of the things that happens uh, in the movie, you've got, you've got uh, uh, Corky Sinclair, you've got Ron and Sheila Albertson. It's Fred Willard and Kath, uh, Catherine O'Hara, Kathleen O'Hara, Catherine, Catherine O'Hara. They're the they're the local travel agents, married couple who also are involved in every single Corky Sinclair a production he puts on, including Backdraft the musical. <laughs> People don't like fire poked poked, poked, poked in their <laughs> faces in their noses. Uh, you've you've also got Parker Posey who works at the DQ. We have tape of that, too, in here, don't we? I think so. It's called I've Been Working at the DQ. <laughs> she's, uh, you know, she's pretty much just out to try to meet a guy, Italian guy, any kind of guy, really. Mm-hmm. Um, Watch some TV. That's right. Uh, you've got Parker Posey. You've got, uh, who else is in it? Bob Balaban. Mm-hmm. Bob Balaban plays the only person in the movie. Who pointed this out to you? My brother-in-law, Adam. Pointed out that Bob Balaban, who's the music director, is the only person in the movie who actually is in any way competent at making <laughs> a musical theatrical production, and he yeah. gets shoved off by Corky. Which, His songs are really good. What's great, though, is that Corky is so crazy that he eventually gets other people, including Bob Balaban, who's the only sane person, to kind of go into his world of insanity. This is where Corky Sinclair decides no, they don't know any of the dialogue. <laughs> None of the actors have learned any of the script. And Bob Balban's character is saying, uh, well, I think that we really need to focus on having people learn the script. And Corky's saying, well, it's, you know, it's, he, Corky's going, I'm, they're going to learn it after they've done the play or after they've been practicing the play. And he said, well, they have to learn it first. And then Corky says, well, it's kind of a Zen thing. Well, here's what Corky says exactly. See what I mean? It's just, it's like one of those, no, no, it's please. like a, it's Maybe like a, it's a Zen thing. It's like, you know. I mean, you see what I mean? It's just—it's like one of those. It's like a—it's like a—it's a Zen thing. It's like you know, you know, how many babies you know fit in in the in the tire thing that whole the old joke, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, you have a point. <laughs> <laughs> so, this uh, the movie is the kind of second production for these guys. 
who who brought you Spinal Tap, which I, I'm in my top five all time funniest movies. Spinal Tap and Waiting for Guffman are totally there, and it depends on which one I watched most recently, mm-hmm. which one I put at number one, and which one I put at number two, or which one's ahead of the other one. But uh, uh, Christopher Guest and all these people, they got together. They had I actually have watched Waiting for Guffman with the director's commentary. Oh, really? <laughs> because. Uh, I had a really lonely time in my life, I think, where I thought that was a good way to spend the Saturday afternoon. And there were some interesting things that came out. Uh, one thing is that, obviously, Christopher Guest had structured the ideas behind these characters and kind of what was going to happen, but everything is pretty much improvised within the scene. So we just got these funny people together, and then they just came up with stuff. The first... Oh, I'm sorry. I can't leave out uh, I can't leave out Eugene Levy, Dr. Alan Pearl. He's the town dentist. But he, he's always... He's always had a real kind of uh, yen, uh, a real yearning to be in the theater. I I love to make people laugh, and I've been doing it since, you know, school. People ask me, were you, uh, you know, were you, were, you must have been the class clown. And I say, uh, no, I wasn't. But I sat beside the class clown, and I, I studied him and, uh, and saw how he made people laugh. And... The, and so I picked some things up, and uh, you know, and at parties and family functions, I, I have to say, uh, I love you know breaking people up. So there's a thing that I think I got a, a, an entertaining bug from my grandfather, uh, Chaim Prolgut, who was very very big in the um, Yiddish uh, theater back in New York. He was in the the very the sardonically irreverent Dibik Schmibik. I said more ham. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, now that I'm realizing uh, that we still have a few other tape clips, in there, I know I'm jumping around a lot, but I just want to play you. I want to set up a little bit of Corky Sinclair and what he thought was going to happen when he moved to Blaine, Missouri, and what actually happened. I had been living in New York and working there as an actor and director and choreographer for 25 years or so, and I really felt I needed a change. I imagined in my fantasy, I suppose, that that when I came here, I would have a completely different life. Uh, Perhaps um, a construction worker or one of those guys that works on those high-wire things that uh, with a hard hat, you know, that sweeping sort of hat, and uh, with the chaps. (laughs) So in watching the director's commentary version, I heard from Christopher Guest that the first cut he made of the movie, because he edited the movie, Corky was in it for two minutes and because he didn't think he was very funny oh goodness and he showed it to eugene levy and eugene levy said are you insane <laughs> so, I, I would love to see that first cut it'd be very interesting because you know they shot a lot of stuff and then someone has to make the call as to what sort of gets in and what doesn't and so he apparently went back and recut the movie and made it so that corky was a much more central character well thank the lord yeah Indeed. Christopher Guest, incidentally, giant doucher. I hear that over and over, actually. And I I actually have had experiences with his wife, who was kind of a female doucher. And male doucher. <laughs> is that true about her? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. His wife is Jamie Lee Curtis. And I'm sure that Christopher Guest, to the people he loves, is a nice guy. But he has a real... Suspicion, I think, about journalists who want to talk about him and or you think Patton Oswalt was tough on this show. 
uh, Christopher Guest came through when I used to work at KUOW when I was the intern there. He came through and promoting Waiting for Guffman, incidentally. And, he, you know, public radio, it's like the land of uh, kind of highbrow, sarcastic humor, at least it can be at times. So he's on this show, and it should be a really great time for him to talk about the movie. And he was such a jerk to everyone. And he left, and four different people were like, that guy was the biggest jerk we've ever had in here. Then I just read this New York Times, or maybe New Yorker. I read a magazine article about him recently. And the quotes that the reporter left in, and you presume that the reporter was trying to find the kind of decent things to put in about him, the quotes were of Christopher Guest just being openly hostile. I think I think he just feels like he wants to make his movies. He doesn't want anyone to ask him any questions about him or look him in the eye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he wants the press to walk behind him like a five paces, like a Chinese bride. I've never seen a picture of him just like out somewhere. I almost feel like he's a hermit. You know, I've never seen just a paparazzi shot or anything, or red carpet. Um, Okay, so where do you, Jennifer, how do you rank the Christopher Guest movies? So that would be Spinal Tap, Guffman, Best in Show, Mighty Wind. Uh, Oh, and For Your Consideration. I didn't see For Your Consideration. Nobody did. A lot of people who That's telling. I know some people who did see it, and they are like Christopher Guest you know, fanatics, and they didn't like it at all. They said it was really dark and depressing. It was really anti-Hollywood and that it, like, eats up your soul and throws you out, and you know. But I would say that Guffman is number one for me, and then uh, Spinal Tap. I guess Best in Show and then Mighty Wind. Best in Show, I thought, fell into some of the... um, kind of cheap humor, like the easy laughs. I thought there was a lot of, you know, going to the... That was the dog show. Well, the problem with Best in Show, I feel like, is that a lot of the characters fell into... That was when their ruts officially started to emerge for me. Like, Fred Willard is one of the funniest guys of all time, but he kind of has one character, which is a very bombastic... Mm What happened? I can't do my work. Which is, by the way, the funniest part of A Mighty Wind, unquestionably. Oh, I'm full. But in he kind of single-handedly saved Best in Show with his... He was the announcer at the dog show. He kind of saved it, but I also started to feel like he's always being that same guy in every single one of these movies. He's just completely clueless. He's just saying idiotic stuff all the time. And I thought that wasn't Parker Posey's strongest performance. I feel like the hierarchy is... Guffman, Spinal Tap, although I love Michael McKeon so much, David St. Hubbins in Spinal Tap, and the fact that he is not in any of the other movies. He is in, in Mighty Wind. Oh, you're right. part of the I'm trio. Sorry. You're totally right. But the fact that he wasn't in Guffman, I always found kind of odd, because I thought he was so great. And Harry well, Shearer. there might have been a Laverne and Shirley you know, event that week. Well, Harry Shearer was also not in Guffman. Oh, you're right. So it was like the guys he made Spinal Tap with. He kind of didn't stick around for a while anyway. But in my mind, it's like Guffman Spinal Tap is maybe a tie for first. And then Best in Show, still pretty funny, still definitely worth renting. A Mighty Wind, a couple of laughs. And then for your consideration, I didn't even see. And most of my friends who are similar to me and that they're fanatical about these movies are all kind of – none of them have seen that movie, which is amazing. Let, let's talk, though. The, the segment's called Why It Mattered. And uh, let's talk a little bit about why it mattered, okay? And this is actually an email from uh, Jordan. Uh, he, uh, 
he he posted this too as a blog post, I guess, but he sent it to us in email form. Uh, he says, as Nabali is to the Milky Way, it's an inside Guffman joke, if you get that, involving David Cross, so is Corky Sinclair to stage play and musical theater. He is the epitome of life and art. As Americans are obsessed with celebrity and fame, Corky offers a humorous and more comfortable look into, quote, our world. American Idol, America's Got Talent et al., are great proofs of our unwillingness to judge ourselves soberly and consider realistic goals expectations for our lives. Simultaneously, Corky is an endearing example of charismatic magnetism, unwittingly, uh, unwitting drive and passion for life. He can't be knocked down even when faced with budget cuts, uh, even though there's no swimming in, in his play. Johnny Savage's dad, obsessed fans, and apprehensive audiences. I guess people don't like fire poked, poked in their noses. We should all love Corky because he offers us all an opportunity to be involved in something truly larger than us. And like a warm glass of milk, he's always there to make us laugh ourselves to tears out of our chairs and out loud in the middle of mind-numbing meetings. All circumstances I found myself in. That is very, very very well put. Waiting for Government I think matters because more than any other movie I've seen in my life, I think... I quote this movie with my friends. And as Jordan just pointed out in his email, I quote it in my head to myself in when I'm in a tight situation and somebody says something, I, it, will, it will make me think of a line from Waiting for Guffman. And it's like we were talking last night about art, that thing strike through and the question of kind of what makes good art or at least what makes art that's important. And I think I said last night, I think when art provokes you and when art when it's something you can't stop thinking about, I think it's it means to me that it's important. I think it matters. And I I saw Waiting for Guffman. I thought it was pretty funny in the theater. I saw it at the at the uh, Crest for two dollars. <laughs> I remember thinking that was really funny. And then as I was driving home, I started replaying it in my mind. And then when it came out on DVD, I rented it and watched it again with some friends, including our good buddy Seth. Seth is the we should have had him on for this segment. That guy is the original. That's right. He is more obsessed with Waiting for Guffman than maybe – if we do this again, next year we'll have him on. <laughs> but I remember starting to talk about it with my friends, and it took on this whole life of its own. And we would do these elaborate scenes from these call-in responses where one person starts talking like one character from Guffman, and everybody else fills in all the other stuff. And it was like it was like a, it was a sleeper cell of a movie for me that has really wedged its way into my life in this way that I kind of would have never expected. My ex-wife – didn't love Waiting for Guffman. Vanessa adores that movie. Coincidence? <laughs> I don't know. Seriously, though, that this this movie has been like a friend to me throughout my life since I became obsessed with it, and for that reason, I think it matters. That's really, really well put. Well, I'm more or less ripping off what Jordan said, but that's what I do a lot on this show. <laughs> Bob Jordan? Well, uh, and other people. I take... Other smart people, and then I, I add like four words to it. Can we play a little bit of um, one of the musical numbers, "Penny for Your Thoughts"? Sure. Because for me, a lot of why I love Guffman is that it is filled with warmth. It is making fun of these people, but in such a loving, warm way. I mean, you love these people. It's it's all done in such a gentle way. Is "Penny for Your Thoughts"? Uh... It's called Guffman. "Penny for Your Thoughts." Would that be in our friend Andrews or in no, our friend TBTL? Okay, I'll, I'll I'll find that right away. Now the ba- the backstory on on Penny for your thoughts uh, is that 
they have this whole production ready to go, and there's this guy, Johnny Savage, who's supposed to play the love interest of this girl, but at the last minute he can't do the play. So Corky, Corky is uh, is pressed into duty. By the way, I don't uh, I don't see that uh, I don't see that in here. I'm sorry to tell you that, Jennifer. It's really hard to hear, isn't it? Are you sure that it's uh, are you sure that it's a TBTL? Uh, I guess not. Okay. Well, we'll play it when we we'll play it when we come back. How about okay. that? We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll play it. We'll wrap up a little bit of government conversating. <laughs> we should ask James Strauss about that too. Conversating. Because Biggie Smalls uses it. I feel like it's okay. And then after the news, we are going to talk about tales from the theater. Guffman is a movie about people that are trying to make it on the stage. Uh, we're going to talk about our personal experiences uh, on the stage. And uh, I'll tell you what, you're not going to want to miss it. We're going to bring my sister in to uh, rehash when we were part of a, a production called God Uses Kids, starring Colby the Singing Computer. So we'll do all that in just a few minutes. This is TBTL on News Talk 710 Cairo. We'll be right back. I've been working here at the DQ for about um, eight months. I don't know, something like that. It's fun. Just do the cones. Make Sundays, make blizzards, and put stuff on them, and see a lot of people come in. A lot of people come to the DQ, burgers, ice cream, anything, you know, Cokes. Just drive in and get a Coke if you're thirsty. A penny for your thoughts, a dime for your dreams. Would a shiny new quarter buy a peek at your schemes? And when you A little uh, waiting for Guffman for you on this Friday night as we consider that movie and uh, why it mattered. Speaking of uh, a life under the lights of the stage, I've lived one myself. Uh, And uh, much like Waiting for Guffman, we didn't get all the way to Broadway, but we did get to a a church auditorium and and various malls around the uh, northwest Washington, Oregon, and Idaho area. The uh, production was called uh, uh, Colby Four, God Uses Kids. It starred uh, a bunch of uh, plucky kids wearing uh, way too much rouge. <laughs> because we're on stage. It needs to pop. The lights. And a uh, a guy in a computer outfit, Colby, the singing computer. And you could just buy this computer outfit or did someone have to make no, it? No, someone had to make it at the church. It was a series of records. Maybe you've heard of Salty, the singing psalm book. Of course. This was a lot like that, except Colby, the singing computer. <laughs> he sounded a lot like this. If you see a special way- By the way, just a quick <laughs> summary of the plot of God Uses Kids. There are some kids. One of them's kind of tough. His name's Tony. He doesn't really like to uh, hang out with Colby. Does he wear black? Not in this production, because I was Tony. He wore uh, high water white pants, uh, red suspenders, a tucked in shirt, and one of those like news white newsboy cap. So he sounds like trouble. Pretty tough outfit, and he's not really into the whole Colby scene. But then they sing a song 
called Praising the Lord Makes Working Lots of Fun. And I'll be darned if, if old Tony doesn't have a real about face with his attitude. <laughs> Not before he sings a song called I Need You, Lord. <laughs> but anyway, this is a little bit earlier on in the play. This is, this is really, this is what brings the house on. This is God Uses Kids. To give the Lord's great love away, you don't have to wait till you're grown up. This is Colby. You can tell because his voice is very robotic. Because God can use you now. That's Tony, by the way. This is the part <laughs> I said. Was your falsetto that pretty? You saw him all in the night visitors. <laughs> I did. Okay? It was amazing. <laughs> the special things that the Lord has done. You don't have to wait because God can use you now. I'm not going to lie to you. That was a tough note to hit. <laughs> tough note to hit. But I did. <laughs> God uses kids. You know who else could sing this song in perfect time would be Elizabeth Burbank, soon to be uh, Elizabeth Brooks of uh, Portland, Oregon, my little sister, who joins us now by phone. Hi, Lizzie. Hi, bro. Does that bring back the memories? Oh, man, that's crazy. Where did you get that tape from? Uh, YouTube. Oh, beautiful. Apparently there was something called Colby's Clubhouse. Which was I th- probably like a Christian TV show, where they, I guess would use some of the songs that were in, as the you know when you hear Colby Four, you know that it's a series. It's really like Watchmen. It's a it's an epic serialized story about about a singing song computer. Was it Colby? Sort of like Veggie Tales, probably. They may have probably made like VHS tapes or something. Right. I think a lot like Veggie Tales, yeah, but not not as. Um... Liberal, if you can call it. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little more Dr. Dobson than Veggie Tales. It de- definitely had a healthy helping of Dr. Dobson. Now, Liz, yeah, remember those days of tryouts for for God Uses Kids? This was a big, big moment in the Burbank house because yeah. I was going out for Tony, and Liz was going out for. Did you have a specific character in mind, or were you just generally auditioning? I was just hoping to get on the show or on in the play. I mean, I just had no idea because I sang in my bedroom, but I, I had never sang in front of anyone else um, other than like singing in the church. Where, where my sisters actually sang, to be honest, was at this house we used to rent by Green Lake. <laughs> there was this hallway. There was like, two bedrooms and the kitchen and the basement stairs. They all intersected in kind of a cross so you could go in any direction, and you'd be going somewhere else in the house. But they all of those doors shut. So you could make a little chamber mm-hmm. if you shut the bathroom door, the girls' bedroom door, my parents' bedroom door, the basement door, the kitchen door. You could create acoustics, closet. basically. And my sisters, there was a full-length mirror, and they would stand in there with an upright vacuum cleaner, like the kind you do on the carpet, and they would sing into the back of the upright vacuum cleaner like a microphone. It was the perfect height. <laughs> yeah. So now, Lizzie, you were Shuby. Remember when you got? Do you remember what 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 you thought when you got the Shuby Doo Up Hallelujah part? Oh, I was so stoked because you know, I mean, I think the narcissistic part of me was wanting to be one of the other stars. You know, of, of course, because one of seven kids, we're all like wanting to be a star. But um, interestingly enough, there's actually a song that Tony sings called "When You're a Star." <laughs> exactly. You're somebody who really counts when you're a star. You're special through and through. 
Exactly. And then, you know, Holly Hetherington always got the good parts. And I was just like, oh, man. But then when I got that solo, it was like I suddenly had that little badge that I could put. Like, I got a solo. There was these doo-wop girls. My sister was one of these little doo-wop girls. Candace. Was that her name? Maybe. Yeah, she had the worst, the flattest voice I have ever heard. I'd say there's probably a a 70 to 80 percent chance she'll hear this. (laughs) <laughs> How much we wine like, have you had down we there in Portland? Like 10. <laughs> I saw Holly at Trader Joe's a week ago. I kid you not. I, w- I love Holly. I- Holly had a great voice. <laughs> Holly had a great voice. <laughs> you didn't think that you're, you didn't think. Green with, I was a little green with envy because it was a duet. And then we each had our own solos. And, and it was, it was Candace, not Holly. Right. And Candace had a bigger part of the solo than I did and I was like I'm so much better than her I don't know why she has the bigger part what was the song what was what was can you sing your solo part do you want me to yeah right now stack those papers in a pile we'll be done in a little while roll those sleeves up right oh yeah no no then I also sang I think then at one other part I said uh, we'll sing praises to the Lord, because he's the one we're working for. No, you'll never get bored. When you're working for the Lord. Because <laughs> praising the Lord makes... <laughs> nice work, sis. That was great. Now, now... now so that this was a really big deal to us, but the next year I got a little too cool for it, and I that was the uh, salty the singing songbook uh, songbook baseball one, right? I think so, yeah. And then the next year there was Charity Church Mouse that our sister, little sister Sarah was Charity Church Mouse. She was the star of that one. So we were kind of a pretty big deal in the Christian musical community for a while. You're practically the Barrymore's mixed with the Baldwins. Yes. I'd say. Um, you and Sarah, definitely. Well, yeah. we then we tried to branch out, though. We said we've we've done everything we want to do in the world of uh, songbook and computer-related Christian music. What else can we do? And so we decided, our, probably our mom, right, decided we should try out to be in a Christmas carol at a contemporary theater. And we had yeah. to go down there as kids and audition. I had some janky monologue I got out of a book at the library at Jesus Creek. <laughs> but our mom had different plans for, for, for Liz. And, and uh, what did you have to do? Uh, we, we had to um, uh, we had to sing that one song from uh, The Sound of Music. What was it called again? Uh, favorite Things? Yes. These are a few of my favorite things. And we had to sing it with a, a whole series of, like, choreographed motions that, like, literalized all the words that we were singing. <laughs> so we, like, <laughs> we had to, like, pretend that we were picking favorite things out of the air. And, like, <laughs> it was my mom's idea of... Uh, oh, really? I didn't yeah. sound anything like Susie Burbank. It was, like, because it was, like... Brown um, paper packages tied up with string. I mean, did you like pretend we to open tied gifts? things up with strings? Yeah, and then um, not. We didn't have real things. They're all imagined. It was like miming and singing at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and um, snowflakes. I remember like picking snowflakes out of the air. Yeah. How did like you do that. raindrop on raindrops on roses? 
um, we had a ro- I had a rose in my hand. I remember this distinctly. It's so funny because I, I had to like visualize it all because mom mom was like, you have to just act it out as you're going because I think we were supposed to have an acting component. Component. No, what there there was no singing was not part no. of the audition at all. There's no singing in that play. It was pure. You were supposed to go <laughs> in and do them. You were. Su- <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen a Christmas Carol, Lizzie? I did after I got rejected. We went to see it. It was like, and then, yeah. We, there is a part at ACT where everybody sings a Christmas carol together, like the audience and but everything. But that, that is kind of the least <laughs> of all of what happens in terms of on stage. That's a very yeah. small component. In other words, what they really wanted us to do was go in there and say something in a believable Cockney accent, I guess, you know. Yeah. What time is it, boy? It's Christmas, <laughs> sir, or whatever. But we were armed with one of the greatest uh, uh, dramaturges <laughs> of our time, Susie Burbank, who had instructed my sisters to, did you sing the song or did you speak it or did you rap it? Uh, I think I sung it. I think I sang it. Like, I think I, think I actually, because, or maybe I, ta- maybe I spoke it. I don't remember, to be honest. Like, it was a blur. I remember just being so nervous. In the waiting room, it was, like, stuffy, and I felt lightheaded, and then I had to go into this room, and it was, like, it was seriously like American Idol, kind of. (laughs) And I had to, like, go, and then I I performed it, and my heart was racing, my voice was, like... Quivering. Not not unlike it is now, yeah. It was totally, like, uh, And um, so maybe I spoke it. Who knows? And then I, I, you know, of course I never got in, not even as an understudy, so um, I just blocked it out of my memory, I guess. Oh, I'm so with you. By the way, for all of I didn't have to sing Raindrops on Roses, but I didn't get in either. I did my monologue about whatever I did. <laughs> Never heard back from them. And every time I drive by that built it was when Act Theater was at the base of Queen Anne. Yes. Every time yes. I drive by that building I think I do too. I can't yeah. believe you guys didn't let the Burbanks in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think, oh, God, those were funny times. <laughs> uh, well, listen, uh, Lizzie, thank you for taking some time out of your dinner to stroll down memory lane. I'm, I know you'll be getting a Facebook message from uh, Candace about uh, how hurtful that was when you said her voice was flat. <laughs> she was in puberty or something. Or <laughs> yeah, like try, to, try to get out of it now. Just, um, <laughs> just remember, praising the Lord makes work and lots of fun. You too, bro. Okay. Too. <laughs> bye, Lizzie. All right. Bye, Love you guys. Love you too. Bye. <laughs> Your mom. She was so game. I just love it. She was always up for a new scheme. No one had more schemes going than my mom. <laughs> That's great. And it, it, it was great. It, we have, you know, probably more stories than the average family because, yeah, it was. there really were not very many dull moments. Did you... <laughs> Tell me about Nancy Drew. Did you just come up with this on your own? Well, I was reading a Nancy Drew uh, mystery when I was in fourth grade, and it, I can't remember the name of it, but it, it was – I remember that ultimately the whatever was missing was hidden in the bow of a boat. Uh-huh. And as I was reading it, I remember thinking, this should be a musical, and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to mount it. How old were you? I was nine. I was in fourth grade. And so I went to my teacher, Miss Grossman. And I said, I would like to uh, direct a play starring our whole class. And maybe it can be like the like a project for the month. And she was very artsy. And uh, she said, I think that's a wonderful idea. And so I went home that night and I sketched it out and I wrote some songs. 
And <laughs> I came back to school and we had these rounded tables and I figured out that if I pushed the tables over onto their side, they could rock back and forth and kind of approximate a boat. This rocking. teacher must have been artsy. She let you do this? Oh, yeah. Oh, she thought it was wonderful. And I mounted this whole play and cast it, and I wrote the songs, and I directed it. And... Can you remember any of the songs? Well, they were all about, um, yeah, there was one, uh... <sighs> where is it now? <laughs> I don't know. And then I would go over and I would like hit an F chord on the piano to like help everyone know where to go with it. Did you and know how to play piano at all? I knew chords. So I could kind of, you know, I'd say this is an F and I would play the F chord. So I didn't understand what it meant to be in the key of F, but I knew how to hit the F chord, you know. And then I was, uh, so that was a huge hit in, in my mind. I think everybody in my were class you also, hated it. Were you the star of the show? No, I just directed that one. But I did star in Esther, and I remember that this boy, Eric Trout, was playing the king, and that he didn't like me. And there was this part where I come in and say, oh, oh, my king, I shouldn't be bothering you. And he's supposed to kind of look me up and down and say, I'm not bothered. But he At delivered... Jesus Creek? <laughs> yeah. I That's... know. It was... What? It was a little skeezy. But he hated me so much that he kept delivering it flat. I'm not I just bothered. think that's because he was a terrible actor. Well, he got replaced by Ben McNair. So that's what happens. And the then, mummy's brother. Yeah, and then Ben and I were like, we had great chemistry. It was, it really flew off the stage. I always thought you kids were going to make it to you and yeah. Ben. Yeah. I don't know what, what happened I don't there. either. And then um, that all led to really my crowning glory, which was in seventh grade. And oddly, again, it was with Eric Trout. We got the lead duet of Christmas Isn't Christmas Till It Happens in Your Heart. And he was flat the whole time. And I was like, Christmas isn't Christmas till it happens in your heart. That's the note. Heart. And he kept doing it flat and he ruined it. He was on a like long-term plan to undermine your stage success. I truly believe that is correct. I was in the follow-up to Christmas isn't Christmas till it happens in your heart. Memories are made in, in your mouth. Is <laughs> when I got transferred to the public school. <laughs> Well, Jen, I'm, I for one thank Eric Trout because had he not screwed it up for you, you would be on Broadway somewhere right now and I would be here with Sean <laughs> alone, be way too much testosterone, and we'd be really missing you. Oh, I know. Although I we wouldn't to... know it because you wouldn't be here. I know. I need to realize that that was meant to be. That was the path you were meant to be put on. <laughs> okay, we have got to take us a break. Uh, and look at this. Just as we're doing that, Mr. Lan Archer walks into the uh, newsroom where I assume there is an update about this uh, teacher strike, right, Lan? There is. It appears that there is a tentative agreement. There's no vote yet, but it appears that there is a tentative agreement. Let's get the latest uh, details now. Here's Aaron Covey, who is live in Bellevue. Well, Lan, it was just confirmed by the union and the district. There is a tentative deal. Now, we won't know specific details of this contract proposal until teachers see it, but there is hope here that school will resume on Monday. There were three key issues, if you remember, that held up classes, health care, salary, and curriculum. Again, no specific details on what this contract is offering. Members will see it on Sunday. Reporting live outside district headquarters in Bellevue, Aaron Covey, News Talk 710 Cairo, now on 97.3 FM. And, of course, we'll have more details on that coming up at our news at 9 o'clock. That's about six minutes away on News Talk 710 Cairo, also on 97.3 FM. Thanks, Lan. You know, welcome. great Great news for the administration and for the teachers, horrible news for the children of Bellevue. But what are you going to do?
because that means they're going back to school on Monday. All right, we'll take a break. This is TBTL. Back in just a moment. TBTL on Seattle's first choice for breaking news, emergency traffic, and local talk. News Talk 710, Cairo, now on 97.3 FM. All right, we are going to head into the news here in just a moment, but uh, I wanted to let you know that coming up after that, TBTL is Mystery Solverers. Uh, This week we've been trying to figure out why it is that people throw uh, shoes over power lines. Jen was on a real detective mission this week, and in fact, a couple times she she almost got in too deep. Uh, but we have now found what we think is some kind of resolution to this whole thing. We'll recap the week for you and give you the uh, the end of the story uh, just after the news. So don't you go anywhere. It's TBTL News Talk 710 Cairo now on 97.3 FM. Glory! Praise the Lord! I'll see you all next Sunday! Bye now! Uh, before we start breaking down the clip, I think we need to acknowledge um, a fact here, and I want to get some preliminary thoughts from Meredith on this. So, uh... Caleb, you mentioned that you watched Waiting for Guffman the first time. Was it after this hearing this segment? I actually don't remember. It might have just been after um, all of the Waiting for Guffman drops. Okay. Because I remember cracking up at the Eugene Levy drop about sitting next to the class clown (laughs) um, with no context whatsoever. So I might have seen Waiting for Guffman before I heard this. Uh, And as for me, I remember seeing it uh, in the late 90s as a kid who hung out with the drama kids and had the occasional small part in a high school musical and was in the chorus. (laughs) And I hung out with the kind of kids who really dug this kind of movie. And so it was sort of on in the background, probably when it came out on VHS or whatever. Uh, And I hadn't actually sat down and seriously watched it in a long time, but I watched it again earlier today. Caleb, you watched it yesterday. Meredith, when was the first time you saw Waiting for Guffman? Uh, about 12 hours ago. Wow. <laughs> Not really One of the few well, tins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's weird that I haven't seen it because I was also, I also hung out with drama kids. This was when I, you know, this came out when I was kind of in the prime uh, target audience, I think, for this kind of thing. This was totally up my alley and I don't know why I didn't see it. Um, so it was a real blind spot for me, but I watched it uh, yesterday and it was wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, I do have a question. Did you watch it by yourself or with somebody, and had they seen it before? Um, do dogs count? I think that they always count. But, <laughs> <laughs> but had the dog seen the movie? Well, no. I, so I watched it with Eddie, and he's about a year and a half old, so no, he hadn't seen it before either. He slept through most of it. I was a little offended. Oh, okay. um, but yeah, no, I watched it by myself um, yesterday after work. So Duff Dude, usually doesn't get home till late, and so I was kind of planning on watching it by myself. I don't think he's seen it either. Yeah, I ask because that can be a real sticking point with people who have never seen any of these Christopher Guest films. If you if you don't sort of get off to a good start and laugh at the right parts, the entire thing can just be a mystery to you. Um, I had a, a couple of friends who I introduced to this movie, and we started watching some of the other ones. And I think another... Um, Christopher Guest movie, A Mighty Wind, is hilarious. But I had a friend over, and she just sat there and stared at the TV the entire time. Oh, no. Without cracking a smile. Because if it doesn't click, then you just can't enjoy any of the comedy. Yeah. 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 I can see that. No, so, and actually, the only other Christopher Guest movie I've seen is A Mighty Wind. Um, So I have some serious movie watching to do 
Um, but I think I la I there was so much of it that I was familiar with just from TBTL. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've heard all these drops so many times, and I'm aware of the storyline, and I know the people in it, and and um, like they mentioned in this clip, they're they're kind of doing their characters, right? That we've already mm-hmm. seen before in the other movies. Um, so I, I, it felt very familiar to me, and I wasn't really surprised by too much. But um, the things that the the first thing that really cracked me up was the stool capital of the world, <laughs> and also um, the the UFO. Uh, specialist the measuring the yes <laughs> measuring the circle on the ground yeah. that I, I just died laughing all by myself <laughs> well just to yeah. eddie uh laughing about that that was so great and that was something that you know it's it was just kind of a, a quick moment in the movie and it's never really revisited uh mm-hmm. david cross's part he's not in there very much but he was so funny yeah Rewatching that scene made me think his suit is just, um, it's like <clears throat> two sizes too large. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's just these little details that are just so perfect about this guy being a quote unquote, you know, scientist or whatever, whatever his enthusiasm is rooted in and, uh, watching him stretch to try to measure the full diameter of the, the and circle. He says that Blaine uh. has five letters, but Blaine has yep. six letters. Yep. <laughs> Oh my god! He said something about how the diameter changes, but the radius doesn't. I think that's what it was. Yeah, the diameter never always changes, but the radius stays the same. Not possible. And how the weather is the same. Yeah, (laughs) the circle. And you note, of course, that he has enough tape measure to measure the radius correctly every time. Right. Right. (laughs) So that could have something to do with it. Yep. Meredith, did you have any other hot takes as a first timer to this movie? Um, I I made a note about the doctor's horrible Native American jokes. Oh yeah, he kept he keeps talking about like squaws and and wigwams and stuff like that, and I was cringing through that whole thing. But he blames Johnny Carson, um, but that might yeah. have been a sign of the times a little bit. I can definitely try to explain that away as him just impersonating the most famous comedian that he'd heard of yeah but yeah you're yeah you're right um the other thing that i kept noting was sheila's bangs yes yes were incredible (laughs) (laughs) gotta love Catherine o'hara uh yeah they're different in every scene yeah they're they're like there's something about mary level like you know some sort of fixative in those in those bangs and they're sky high. And that Chinese dinner scene was incredible. And I wonder why there's no drops from that. Because that seemed like a drop goldmine to me. It is. It's also the strangest scene in the movie. It uh, it has no relation to any of the... I mean, there's not much plot in these movies. No. But it has zero relation to the plot. And that's always... Yeah, that's always the part where I pick up my phone when I'm watching this movie. <laughs> yeah. It, well, and the whole thing about penis reduction surgery is really strange and out of left field. Right. Yeah. And cuz they're dancing around this surgery in the one place that they've these travel agents who have never traveled except for <laughs> to have I penis reduction that. surgery. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, she was extremely drunk, right, in this. And mm-hmm. one thing I noticed that that the wine level in her glass changes from shot to shot, like sometimes it's full, sometimes it's empty. Um, like I think that might have been a continuity thing. I don't know if that was on purpose or if it wasn't. Like that's hard to tell with a movie like this. Uh, I yeah. think a lot of the charm of this movie is that it was clearly cut together later, and so yeah. 
there's a lot of transition things and things that just don't get quite picked up or uh i think i bet they wanted to use that scene and they worked backwards to make sure that scene could stay yeah and so they probably improv for half an hour and just cut it down to that so it did feel very pasted in yeah um there was a couple of other things that i really took note of the bean drop was wonderful i didn't know that that's where that don't get me started on beans oh yeah delicious juicy beans or whatever he says <laughs> and that they're all wearing so much eyeliner during yeah. the play yeah and the last thing that i noted is that the crowd shots were so long and weird you know when when the play's going on the the, the shots of the people in the crowd were really strange I've never noticed that. They are really long because they're holding on these characters that are just in awe of Corky. Yeah. Right. But, <laughs> so that, but yeah, you're right. And Eugene Levy's wife, um, they they spend a lot of time looking at her face. And she's just yeah. delighted and just she's cracking up and so impressed and having a great time. But yeah, the shots just seem really strange and long to me. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that might be true of all Christopher Guest movies. Mm-hmm. it's very much of a style um we can break down the clip a little bit but caleb i see you made some very um sort of top level notes including what a weird idea Are you criticizing that... my notes bobby no i'm complimenting <laughs> your notes okay i like the idea of discussing what a weird idea the tbtl players were <laughs> I mean, weird in the best possible way. Right. Um, <laughs> there are probably people who listen to LRB who have um, come on in the Andrew years and don't even know that on TBTL from time to time, Luke and Jen and Sean and the occasional intern would just dramatically read um, scenes from movies. Yeah. And oftentimes not even when they were going to discuss that movie as part of the show like they did here. Yeah. So do you think, you know, I, another thought I had is they have the, it, what do they call them, the Blaine City Players or something? Uh, the, yeah, the Community Players. Community Players. Do you think that's where they got TBTL players from? It's definitely possible because I know Luke and Jen both love the movie, but they've yeah. never, I don't recall them ever actually saying. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of, uh, maybe not a it's classic. kind of standard, thing, but... but- yeah. yeah, you know, in the earliest days of the TBTL players, as far as I know, they would allude to these famous actors who were all sort of <laughs> anonymous members of this troupe. Right, <laughs> and then I, think, I love it. I mean, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, my instinct is that the TBTL players came out of a need to fill time, which is a oh, need that has existed thought. on TBTL since uh, the early days of Luke blowing through his entire first show sheet in like ten minutes. Right. Yeah, when they actually had a full three hours to fill. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) And clearly, you know, Luke and Jen had this background of performance. And it's an interesting comment about the eyeliner on uh, the Guffman cast, the the Red, White, and Blaine cast. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh, Just the same way that Luke and Jen were talking about all the rouge put on for the plays that they were in. (laughs) Yes. I just didn't. I figured it was just the back of the room. Yeah. yeah, I figured it was just that Corky wanted to wear makeup um, because he has a supposed wife, but I kind of don't think he really does have a wife. Right. But that's how he explains buying women's clothing. Right. right. But this is a perfect opportunity for him to wear eyeliner. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's see. We already talked about the stool capital and the players do the <laughs> stool boom. <laughs> 
and I noted early on that Luke says that at 32 years old, he refuses to say the term mockumentary anymore. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it's beneath It was him. just so we could talk about all the suits that he owned. Yeah. yeah. He just was like, how can I work this in? He just needs to brag that he has comprehensive coverage on his vehicle. Uh, at 31, uh, I am proud to say that I can still say mockumentary for like another eight months. So right. I'm going to own it. <laughs> uh, we get some top five talk is this movie in your top five uh and also we talked a little bit in the break about um ranking the films i did write down the ranks that that luke gave which was the guffman spinal tap tie for first and then best in show followed by mighty wind and then way 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 down the list for your consideration which neither of them have seen so they assume it's the worst They've heard it's well, it, it is the worst, yeah. to be fair. It seems to be what everybody says, yeah. yeah. I genuinely don't know if it's a comedy or not. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds a little out of the way for this list. Um, yeah. I wasn't going to bring this back up, except you made a bit of a defense for A Mighty Wind. Yeah, I actually think A Mighty Wind is... It's kind of what I was saying uh, to Meredith a second ago. Once you get the comedy and you're looking for the right things... I think there's actually a lot of really great stuff in A Mighty Wind. And I think it's actually, I mean, we said we weren't going to do rankings, but um, for me, I'm a little bit too, I think I'm a little bit too young to really appreciate the 80s references in Spinal Tap. And for me, A Mighty Wind is it actually a funnier movie because it's just about a ridiculous um, folk music that doesn't really exist. The movie is just pretty much made up out of whole cloth. Whereas uh, Spinal Tap has got all these 80s references in it. So I actually think it, Mighty Wind holds up a little bit better. Fair enough. You know, that's the only other one that I've seen, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I think I probably like Guffman better, but mm-hmm. I really did like Mighty Wind. So I, And I've never seen Spinal Tap. I've never seen Best in Show, and I haven't seen For Your Consideration. So I'll have to report back once I do see all those. Uh, Follow-up file. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Best in Show is a bit of a caricature. Not that the others aren't, but yeah, <laughs> Preston shows even more of an exaggerated caricature of of all of these players. Are you born and raised Nashville, or did you move there? Um, I'm born and raised Tennessee. Okay, but uh, I uh, grew up uh, outside Chattanooga, which is in East Tennessee, and then I uh, spent some time in Knoxville as well. Okay, so that's pretty much the whole state, right? Not to offend our Tennessee listeners, but uh, those <laughs> are the, offend, I think those are uh, the only communities I can name. Well, a um, uh, listener um, and 10710 host Amy is out in Memphis, so we right. shouldn't leave the uh, West Tennessee people Excellent out. Point. Well, that's all right. And you're each Lyft drivers, so you've got your – Yeah. You've got your uh, – yeah, you're not going to cross into one another's turf, which is good. <laughs> uh, now, I only mentioned it because I wonder if the singer-songwritery nature of A Muddy Wind – might play to you a little bit more than Spinal Tap, just based on that, too. I mean, Tennessee is a state full of... I mean, you all play guitar, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's probably... I've never thought about that before, but I think there might be something to that. Well, I'm glad I could bring a revelation. Uh, A revelation (laughs) that that we can generate that is uh, not a secret is that Christopher Guest is a doucher, in Luke's words. Yeah. Uh, and, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, and so is his wife. <laughs> According to Jen. According to Jen, yeah. I don't have a big frame of reference for that, but 
I trust Jens. Yeah, that's the only that's the only time I've heard anybody say that too. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, you know. Uh the impetus for this segment uh was from an email from a listener named Jordan who said that waiting for Guffman matters because it make it makes you feel like you're part of something bigger uh in a very general sense. The sort of magic of the play and this weird cast of characters and clearly TBTL has embraced that in their own way because about 70% of the movie has been turned into drops that we all celebrate. <laughs> uh, and I wonder what your thoughts are on that since you brought this clip, Caleb, uh, uh, what does it mean for you? Um, I actually, uh, Luke's response to that letter is actually what really spoke to me in this clip most of all, because Luke said this movie's become a friend to me. And for that reason, I think it matters. And that's um, a much better answer to the why does TBTL matter to you question than I gave earlier, which is, you know, at the end of every day, TBTL is kind of a friend. And for that reason alone, that's really why it matters. All right, then. Yeah, Luke says that this movie is a sleeper cell for him. He saw it. He liked it. It was (laughs) fine. But then it sort of. Uh, invaded his daily life through references and jokes and jokes about the jokes and drops and things like that. And, and Jen had an interesting angle, which is that she thought it was a a warm movie. Like even the jokes are soft edged and, and sort of, they're not mean about these people. These people are soaked in sincerity, which is the part that I find amazing. Everyone involved, no one sitting there saying what the hell is going on here. Yeah, and I think that might be the one thing that really separates this from all the other Christopher Guest movies. Because, I mean, when you're watching, you know, A Mighty Wind, I mean, I think you're pretty much laughing at the people. But Mm -hmm. I don't really think you are with Guffman, and that might be what makes it different. So we get Liz on the line to talk about this performance that they did together. Colby for God Uses Kids. (laughs) Uh, and they talk about this this childhood that Liz and Luke shared with their other siblings that you talked a little bit about earlier. Yeah, I think that's one of the most charming clips in TBTL history. <laughs> um, Luke and his sister doing a duet um, on the spot. Yeah, I like that Jen broke in and said, your family's like a mix of the Barrymores and the Baldwins. <laughs> <laughs> I like how Luke decided that they had done, you know, they had done all the work they wanted to do in Christian theater. And uh, so they were, they were pretty big names in that, in that arena. Yeah. They were a pretty big deal. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And what else? I just, uh, Jen deserves credit for at nine years old, wanting to mount a musical about Nancy Drew. (laughs) Yeah. One of the things that not just in this clip, but all of TPTL that I always notice is Luke and Jen, when they tell a childhood story, I am never surprised. I mean, they are, of course, Jen was mounting a musical, so she could be in charge right. her entire class. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and of course, Luke is stealing school lunches. I mean, just everything just clicks when they tell a childhood story. Uh, did either of you have anything else you wanted to mention before we get interrupted by news of the teacher strike ending? <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say, because this was mentioned on TBTL probably six months ago there's a new christopher guest movie that's a uh it's a netflix movie called mascots and they mentioned on tbtl that it looked like corky might make a cameo and then they never brought it up again and i have watched that movie and it's 
it's okay. It's not bad. But if you want a little bit more quirky in your life, he actually does make a very brief cameo. All right. Oh, good to know. We'll get your review uh, in here. It's okay. It's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little bit of quirky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. And uh, as you heard, the episode ends with real news. Uh, just a nice reminder about it being a news station. And then they forward promo the next hour, which is Mystery Solvers, Why People Throw Shoes Over Power Lines. Which is so classic TVTL. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I would love to be brought back for that one, actually. <laughs> Uh, so if you're listening and you want to be on the show and you haven't picked a clip yet, here are your options. Why people throw shoes over power lines uh, or the time Andy Haynes gave dating advice on how to call a girl whose number you <laughs> held on to too long. <laughs> Although it sounds like you're going to have to maybe fight Caleb for the power line story. That's true. Yeah, but you can talk about my personal life whenever you want. Okay. All right. Uh, Meredith, housekeeping, please. All right. Our archiving raffle is still going on. All you have to do is contact us and Christy will assign you a week of shows to archive. And every day that you submit, you get a raffle entry and you could win a wagon full of loot, which is something that one of us hosts puts, t- puts together for you at our discretion. Uh, our, our most recent winner is Megan Keene. So stay tuned for that info. Um, if you're going to shop on Amazon, you may as well use our link. It's littleredbandwagon.com slash Amazon. We get a little few pennies from every purchase that you make. Uh, it costs you nothing, and it helps us a lot. And uh, if you want to check out our website, it's littleredbandwagon.com. I guess there's some exciting new things coming soon. Yeah, that's I don't a, know what that note means. That's a note from last Friday's <laughs> run sheet. So we're recording this uh, probably a couple of weeks <laughs> before you're going to hear it. And, uh, hopefully by now those exciting things are on the LRP website. I'm not sure what they are either. So let's all be surprised together. Mm, fascinating. <laughs> I have a feeling they're merch related. Yes. So that's your hint. I think you're right. Uh, get involved. Visit that website, littleredbandwagon.com. Our show Twitter's LRB podcast. Caleb, uh, we've got your Twitter here. Caleb C G. That is right. Excellent. You can email us at littleredbandwagon at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail at 802-432-TBTL. That's 802-432-8285. Uh, and uh, Caleb, I don't, I don't understand dating, but I, I don't know. Can you plug a Tinder profile? How do you? No, no, uh, you, you can't. But I mean, if anybody wants to give me uh, any good bio ideas, I mean, I'd be more than willing to listen. There you go. Uh, I sound like such an old man now. <laughs> <laughs> Tinder, how does it work? <laughs> Uh, and uh, Meredith, since you were Christy this time, why don't you get us out of here? All right. Until next time, this is the next party. And uh, we love you, Jen. Keep up the good work producing classroom musicals. Nailed it. Some people find it ironical that even though we run a travel agency, we've never been outside of Blaine. With one exception. Well, you, uh, we've you, never you been. You left Blaine. Well, I went to Jefferson City once. It was a. Tell them why. Uh, it was a medical reason. You can tell. Just minor surgery. <laughs>